Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. So glad you're here on Father's Day. Glad you made it, and I'm so proud of you. In fact, there's a lot of people that are very proud of you uh, for being here, dads. You know, even if your kids are grown up and have left the house, uh, you, uh, you're, you, mark, you mark their lives by this decision to be in the house of God. Because there's so many people who make the decision, uh, it's not something I need, which is really just pride. It's the, it's the attitude of, I don't need God. But there's something about you, something about your life where you got up today and you say, I need to be in the house of the Lord. And you came and you decided, I want to be a person of integrity and a person who is growing and a person who knows God. And I'm just telling you, it marks your kids to do that. So thank you for being here today. Uh, before I get into the message, I was just reading in my Bible this week, uh, just the one-year Bible. I just go through uh, every day a little reading. And I found this example of an amazing father. Let me just point him out to you. He was a pretty awesome dude. His name was Cornelius, and we find him in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. He was a centurion, and that means that he commanded 100 men, and it was of the Italian regiment, which means it was the elite, the Green Berets. So he's a, a very successful, very disciplined, uh, an incredible leader, and there's something that, that the Bible points out about him is that he was a God-fearing man. And why was he God-fearing? Because he was a man who was generous, and he prayed. The two things that Mark... Uh, what it means to be a godly man is a person who, who's got this generous heart and a person who prays. And you know, there's, there's something in the heart of every father that would do anything for their children. And especially, there's something in the heart of a good father that wants to pray for their kids. And maybe you didn't have that. Maybe that's not something that you had in your life with your father. But I want you to know that you have a father in heaven who's like that, a God who is concerned about you and a God who cares. And there's something in the heart of the father that is drawn towards generosity. And it's that heart that Cornelius had that actually drew God to him. And one day, Cornelius has a revelation of God, and God responds to him, it was your prayers, and it was your gifts. So it wasn't something that he just had faith. He actually did something. He, it was because of the way he prayed for others and the way that he was a generous man that God paid attention to him. So I just hope that you'll receive that today and just know that the fact that you're here, the fact you have a heart for God, you have the fact that you have an open heart for God. I think God's going to speak to you in a great way. We're going to wrap up this entire series that I've been teaching you for the last seven weeks. It's called Thriving Through Tough Times. And there's some message notes in your worship guide. I hope you can follow along, write down a few notes on this last installment. And I don't know what's ahead for us as a country. I know that things are pretty prosperous. And some of you are, are looking ahead, wondering what's going to happen. I don't know what the days will bring. I don't know if gas is going to keep going up, if inflation will rise. I've been doing my best to prepare you so that you're ready for whatever tough times come. But I have one more message to give you from God's Word, and I want to lead you in a prayer from Psalm 37 that says, God, I open my heart to you. Let's pray this. God, I open my heart to you, and I hold nothing back. Do something in me today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look again at... 2 Corinthians, in the 8th chapter, I brought you there last week, and I told you the story of a group of people who are experiencing some economic difficulties, some hard times. A church in a place called Macedonia. It's a place that's north of the nation of Greece. And there's a city in Greece, a city called Corinth, and the Apostle Paul, who is in Macedonia, is writing this community of believers in Corinth. He's written two letters to them covering a number of sensitive topics. The church had some problems going on. They had lost their way, missed the mark, and he's trying to bring them back. And inside of this letter, by the time he gets to the 8th and ninth chapter, he's reminding them 
of people who live in other places and how they have it, they have a situation that's different than they're experiencing. See, the church in Corinth, uh, it, Corinth was a place of prosperity, is a place of economic success, a lot of business, a lot of trade, a lot of industry, and things were going pretty well. It wasn't like that in the rest of the world. And I say that to let that sink in because, you know, we live in Hamilton County, obviously an incredible place in the world to live. And I know some of you uh, think that, hey, things are not going well. Well, let me just let this settle in for you for a second and realize that there are some other places in the world that if you live there, you'd be thankful today that you live right here in Hamilton County. Can I get a better amen? So thank God. Things may be tough, but they're not as tough as they could be. But I think the Apostle Paul has something to say to us specifically as he writes from a place where he has gone out to help, and now he writes back to this church in this prosperous place, and he says, I want you to see something incredible about these Macedonian Christians, this church in Macedonia who bought into this godly principle that we covered last week, which is that you reap what you sow, that that God has a, has a cycle that if you, like every farmer knows, that don't expect to reap something if you've never sown something into that ground. And so these, these believers knew something, and the Apostle Paul's writing back to hold them up as a godly example, and he's creating a contrast. You're going to see that contrast today. Of people who had nothing, and yet they had everything at the same time. And I think this is important because I want to close the last message of the series and address the question, what if I fall into tough times? What am I supposed to do then? What do I do when I feel like I know I'm supposed to give, but I don't have it to give? I don't wonder if you've ever felt that. What if you know that you should do something, but you say, I don't feel like I can do something? Anybody ever been there before? What if you felt like this? How do I, how do I give when I feel like I don't have it to give? And that's the question I want to address today. There's this beautiful chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I don't really have to do much work. The, the, the points just surface right out of the, out of the chapter. There's three, three challenges that the Apostle Paul makes, and then there's some subpoints under each one of the challenges. So let me give you the first thing that the Apostle Paul wants to bring to our attention. He starts by writing in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God. And I like that right there because that says that God is the generous one who gives before they even recognize they had a need. God had already given them everything that they need. He gave them grace. And he talks about how the grace was given to the Macedonian churches, watch this, in the midst of a very severe trial. I want to stop right there and just say what Paul is trying to point out is here is a church that is experiencing some very tough conditions. Things are hard. Things are, this is more than just a little tight this is a severe, watch this, a very severe trial. And he begins to point out that, that in the middle of this, of, of this severe trial, they had overflowing joy and they had extreme poverty and it, something welled up within them. So watch this. They had tough conditions and they had this very severe trial and they were experiencing extreme poverty. Now let's talk about some of the words that you see there. The word trial indicates that they were being tested. Tested. You know what it's like to be tested? Like you have faith, but you don't know what your faith is until you go through a test. Like when, you, when your back's up against the wall, that's when we're going to know what you believe. Because a lot of people have faith. A lot of people say they trust God. But it's when you go through a hard time, that's when we know what your faith is really rooted in. Like what are you counting on? Who have you put your trust in? What, what are you counting on for your confidence? 
that's going to come out when you're tested. And these people didn't just have this test. The word trial also indicates pressure. Anybody feel like you're under pressure? These people felt the pressure to pay and the pressure to perform and the pressure to produce. And it was intense. It wasn't just a little thing. I mean, you all might be a little bit tight at times in your, in your life. You know what that feels like? When you feel like, I don't know that I have enough to make all of the bills and I might have to push some into next month. This is not that. Because he said that they had a very severe trial that they didn't deserve. It happened to everybody. It came upon them. It was an economic crisis. And it was so severe that he says that they were reduced to extreme poverty. Now, we have a definition for this in our world today. You can Google this yourself. But the definition of extreme poverty is people who find themselves living on under $2 a day. Now, you can imagine what would happen in your life today if you were reduced from wherever you are to $60 a month. And can I also point out that in the world that we live in today, slightly under 2 billion people in our world are living under the $2 a day mark. So, yeah, things are tight in our lives. We have some trials in our lives. How many of you know we have some trials? Like right now, you have to wait forever to get into a restaurant. I mean, it's unreal. It's just, I mean, they don't have enough servers. They don't have people working. And then you got traffic like I've never seen before. And like the way 465 is right now, especially downtown, like it just frustrates me. It's tough. You guys feel me? Do you know how tough it is right now? It's tough. See, Apostle Paul is writing these Corinthians and he's saying, I know, you, I know it's tough where you're at. But there are some people, there are some fellow believers who are living in other parts of the world who are experiencing some extreme poverty and they're facing a severe trial. Now this is what's exciting. Because okay, he points out this, but then he says that in the midst of their severe trial of extreme poverty, he almost phrases the sentence in such a way on purpose to show us that these folks in the middle of their very severe trial and their extreme general and their extreme poverty, they had overflowing joy. And that's the thing that sticks out to Paul, that they're right there in the middle of this incredible trial of extreme poverty, these folks had joy. And you're gonna, that's what that's what he's saying. You're gonna need some joy to get through the trials of your life, especially if you have any kind of poverty that'll happen in your life at some point. You're gonna need some joy to get through. A lot of people don't know the difference between happiness and joy, and there's an actual distinction between that. Happiness is based on things that happen. So what happens is, is a lot of people are, are happy when things are happening the way they want them to happen. But the problem is when they don't happen, when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, then we're not happy anymore. So what happens is, is you've got people who are like happy now. You may be happy today. You've got the car the new car that you wanted, or the new clothes that you wanted, or you got the new house, you got the loan that you wanted, you got, uh, finally, somebody is interested in you, finally, after all this time, and you're so happy, only to find out that, you know, what happens, the drama comes is when the things don't happen. So then what happens is, is that you don't, you, you lose the car. And you lose the house, and you don't get the mortgage that you were hoping for, and the knight in shining armor that you thought he was turns out to be your nightmare in ar armor. <laughs> and then you're not happy anymore all of a sudden because things didn't happen the way you thought. And what Paul's talking about, here's some people in the midst of their happenings, their, their circumstances, they had some, some, not just joy, notice, overflowing joy. 
And see, here's what he's saying is that there is joy available to people that is beyond the circumstances of their life. And I get excited about that, that that's even a possibility, that, that there is something that is to be obtained, something that I can take hold of that is beyond the circumstances of my life. Because joy comes actually from having a relationship with God. When I'm walking with God, that I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who's with me. Like he's around. Like he's here. He's close. And some of you need to get this practice. You need to learn the practice in your life when, when you're sad and when you're depressed and when you're lonely and you're, you're frustrated to learn how to run to the presence of God. That's, that is where your joy is because in his presence is fullness of joy, right? That's what God says. So you, you have to learn that, that God will come close to you when you draw close to him. And what is amazing is, is it possible I mean, go with me on this. Is it possible to be in the middle of a, of a very extreme trial and to have your circumstances all going wrong, even to be in extreme poverty, and yet there's extreme joy welling up from the inside of you? That's incredible. I find this when I travel to places where I have been in my life many, 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 many times in the places of extreme poverty. And what always amazes me, and many of you have come with me, I've taken you around the world and I've shown you these places with your own eyes, the work that we are doing together, I've taken you there and the comments are always the same. How is it that people in these kind of conditions can have so much joy? Because there is joy that comes when you have a real relationship with God. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know who's with me. I don't know what's going to happen in my future, but I know who holds my future. I can sense his presence right now. I can feel his joy. In fact, you may be surprised to know that about 15 minutes in the presence of God will totally change your mood. Just change your attitude. And I've learned how to run there. I've learned that when I hear bad news that prayer is not my last response. It is my first response. It's the, it's the first place I'm going to go because I know that if I can get there, in spite of what I'm going through, I'm going to find some joy. So, so what Paul is doing here is he's just, he's just saying, he's, he's bringing out this idea that here were some people with incredibly, not tight like us, tough conditions, severe trial. Extreme poverty, but they had this overflowing joy. And that is my point to you today to say that you cannot have, your joy cannot be based on just material things. I mean, come on. You, you need to know that it is possible for you to have real joy because, you know, you can't just think that you're just living in a material world and I'm, well, I'm not really, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not the material girl, okay? But I, I, I know that song. And I know that's inside of you. I know that's what you think, that if I have all the right things, then I'm going to be happy. And it's just not true. Because you will find that life will disappoint you every single... If, you're, if you think your joy is in your material things. So Paul is pointing out to these prosperous people. He says they, were, they had joy that nobody expected. So you say, well, how did they get that? How, how do people actually get the kind of joy that overflows in the midst of tough times. Wouldn't you like to know that? Wouldn't you like to know? I'm so glad that you asked me because that's where I'm going next. That's what I'm going to teach you. It's actually in this little passage where the Apostle Paul explains they had tough conditions, but he's going to pull out four things that they did, four behaviors they chose, and I put this under the category of he's going to talk about total commitment. Say this with me. Are you with me? What was the first thing they had? What was they have? Tough conditions. What did they do? They had total commitment. Watch this. Let me go back to verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy that they had. 
In their severe trial of extreme poverty, they had this overflowing joy, and it just welled up into an outpouring of rich generosity. Rich generosity. Why, why would you say rich? Why can't you just say generosity? Why not just, why rich generosity? Because rich actually means it was, it was pure. It was, it was amazing. It was, wonder, it was not self-seeking at all. There was no agenda. There was, there was no, no thought of self. It was just so rich and so pure and so right that, that Paul is amazed. He says, in the midst of all of this, how, how in the world could they be so generous? And this is because they understood the principle that you reap what you sow, that if you get into the cycle of planting something now, God rewards you later. So these people understood this. They know we're in a trial right now, and the only way I'm going to get out of this hole is to sow something into the soil that's good. That's something that they knew. They understood that. They knew that they could not outgive God. And I'm trying to explain to you the cycle of life that people don't seem to understand because what people want is they want God to bless them but do nothing. They want God to bless them, to give to them while they do nothing. It's this, it's, this, it's this idea of the culture. I want maximum return for basically minimally doing nothing. And I'm just saying you can't expect, God's going, I would love to help you, but you've got to get into the cycle of it. It's like what every farmer knows. You cannot expect to reap a harvest in, a, in soil that you've never sown into. So how in the world are you expecting God's blessings and never sowing anything into the kingdom of God? I was talking to my dad this week, and he's reminding me. You know, he grew up on a farm. And he just was pointing out the obvious that, that, a, that a, a cob of corn has like 200 little kernels on a single cob, but only took one little kernel, right? One kernel will produce not only the one cob, but a whole stock that has multiple stalks on a single stalk that came from that one little kernel, which he says nature just reveals to us the truth of Jesus, what he said, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, shaken down, running over, it'll come back like way more. And I'm just saying you cannot outgive God, but you have to get into the flow and into the cycle and into the way that God functions. That's why I've been teaching you this whole series for seven weeks. God does not think like you and you don't think like God. So if you, if you will start to adapt and think like he thinks, and go with what he said and find, find that his ways are actually right and good and holy. If you get into that flow, you'll, you'll receive. Because the bottom line is, is that no, no sowing, there's no reaping. And actually, let me take this one little step further and to say what every good farmer knows, that you cannot consume every seed in your life. See, this is the problem. People are taking everything that they have right now and spending it all on your current need, and you're never putting aside something for the future, which is why every farmer knows I can't, I can't take everything and use it all. I've got to take a portion and plant that into my tomorrow so that there will be a harvest in the next year. Does that make sense to everybody? It's just so simple. I'm just trying to remind you that this is what Paul is speaking about. He says their generosity was just so quick because pe the people understood the principle of sowing and reaping. And the Apostle Paul now is beginning to get excited because he says, I testify to this. I'm, I'm here. I see this with my own eyes that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability which is shocking to the Apostle Paul because these are people who did something beyond what anybody else thought they could do. Here's a group of people, remind, remind you, severe trial, extreme poverty, and they are doing something beyond what anybody thought 
they could do. And that just blew the Apostle Paul away. And that's the principle that they gave beyond their ability. So in other words, they said, I know it doesn't look, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like I should be able to do anything, but I'm going to give actually out of my faith because I know what God can do. I know who I serve. I know who's with me. And so they gave out of actually, it was an offering based on faith, not based on their capacity. And one of the things that you have to learn in life is not to go with your first impression about what your capacity is. Oh, can I, whoa, 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 whoa. slow down, pastor. You've got to learn not to go with your first reaction about your capacity. And I, I mean, that, that applies, that's true for everything. But you realize that we are, we're living inside of a human mind that thinks that we're, we think such limited thoughts about what we, our capacity is, what our abilities are. And here we serve the God of heaven. You are the children of God who God says, I want you to think bigger than the brain that you have. I, I, I want you to think outside of what you think are your capabilities and your possibilities. And here's, here's the apostle Paul saying, just because we were having, just because it looked like that our bills were too much, we still found a way to give beyond our ability. That's incredible. They were able to give beyond what anybody thought they should be able to do. And I like that, everybody. I like the fact that they, they were able to do something more that, than, than what they, I like, I like that, that my first, if my first reaction about giving was, if I just went with that, I wouldn't do much at all. If I went with my first gut instinct about what my capabilities are, I sure wouldn't be standing on this stage in front of you today. God wants to stretch you beyond what you think are your capacities. So, so the Apostle Paul says they gave beyond their ability. And watch this. Nobody put a gun to their head. Nobody forced them. Nobody pressured them. Nobody manipulated them. They, they, they gave freely and willingly. They had, a, they had a great attitude. They had an amazing attitude like, we want to do this. Watch this. They pleaded urgently for the privilege, for the, give us the opportunity. Give us the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. This is why the Apostle Paul is blown away. He's like, these people were begging us for the chance. Please let us be a part of this. And that's what Paul's saying. They shouldn't have been like that. They, they were going beyond what was their ability, but it was like they had this, this kind of this, like God's told us to, to do it. Take it. Like, like give it. And they, and they gave it really quick, and then they ran away like, I don't even want you to give it back. It was like, here, I got to give it. You ever been like that? You ever just had that sense where God tells you to do something, and then you just feel like, I just got to do what he says. I better do it fast before I change my mind. Because, and so there was this urgency, like, please let us be a part of it. I know what that's like. I got $100 right here. Right here. One, two, three, four, five. And I have this urgency. Just give it. Here, come here. Let me just give this to you right there. Now, just keep it. I don't even want it. I run away. It's yours. Now, I'm not there yet right now, actually. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm, uh, I'm preaching to myself as I preach to everybody today. Now, if you had a need, I would give it to you. You have a need? Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> I want you to imagine this with me, that they had this incredible attitude. There was just this sense of there's a need. I know that I can't afford it. I know that I probably can't do it. I know that I got a lot of bills. But you know what? I trust and serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what I can ask or think. And if I can just get it into good ground, I know that he can return it 30, 60, even 100-fold. They had a good attitude. That's not like people today. People don't have that attitude. People have a bad attitude about it. They have a bad attitude. They talk about the offering again. Come on, how many of you honestly would say, is this week seven of this series, is it ever going to end? 
Bad attitude, everybody. I'm trying to help you all. I'm trying to serve you here. I'm trying to help you change your mindset. I'm trying to, I'm trying to kill a tightwad spirit, everybody. I'm trying to kill and break a tightwad attitude. Because you know, how is it that we live in Hamilton County, Indiana? People living in million-dollar houses, driving nice cars, driving nice clothes, going out, having living life, and yet why we live in such a tightwad place? You know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about that person next to you that's sitting next to you, not you. Or not even, not even you. I'm not, or the next, maybe just on your row. Don't look, don't look. But I can tell you what, they're there. We, we live in one of the most prosperous places in all of America. And by any definition, any, any statistical report, why do we live in such a tight place? And so what Paul is confronting is, is he's trying to confront the Corinthians with an attitude and saying, come on, look at these people. They, they couldn't afford it. They didn't have it. But they had this willing spirit. They had this joy. They had this willingness. And they pleaded with us. They begged us for the opportunity. In my 30 years of ministry, never once had someone beg me and say, Pastor, can we please take another offering? This never happened. So I'm trying to break that, you know, because I think God has, God has bigger things and better things for us when we start getting the right attitude about his kingdom. Hey, listen, this is something I want for you. Watch what happens next. They gave freely and willingly, and watch this. So, so give willingly. By the way, these points are pretty obvious. Give willingly, not out of pressure. And they exceeded our expectations. They just blew us away. They had such a great attitude and they did it because first they gave themselves. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. You will never be able to give anything willingly or freely into the kingdom of God until you first give yourself. When you first give yourself to God, all of a sudden everything else is easy. I mean, you, when, you give first, when you give your whole life to the Lord, then you... It's, it's nothing. You, God, you want this? No problem. Because you got me. You got, you got all of me. And so here's the real problem. There's a lot of people today who have not fully, I mean, they, they've got a proximity to Jesus. They have a proximity to the Lord. They sort of have a little debt. It's like, it's like buying a fire, some kind of fire insurance policy. Like just enough of Jesus to keep me out of hell. That's all I really need because I don't want to get all crazy or anything. Don't want to be like crazy religious. I just need to go to church, make sure I'm good with God. But then anyway, I'm back with my friends doing whatever I want. And you will hook up with everybody. Do everything until you're in trouble. And it's hop back in the church again because I need a little dab of God. Oh, I'm preaching right in your driveway today. I'm coming right down your lane. I'm moving into your neighborhood. And... Uh, these people here, they, were, they exceeded their ex, Paul's expectations because they actually gave themselves fully to God. I want to ask you the question. Do you really want the best that God has for you? This is a section called total commitment. You cannot get the best of what God has. Like you will just, you'll continually show up in church and feel like you're that outsider watching like a spectator. You'll just kind of like, well, I never experienced that joy. I never really experienced that, that love they talked about. I never really experienced the generosity of God. You just, you kind of hear about it, but you don't really believe it. And it has to do with, have you fully committed yourself to Christ? Have you ever taken that step? Because there's a difference between just sort of the fire insurance policy way and then the person who goes, oh, my God, I'm a sinner. 
I, I, I have, I've wronged the Lord. I, I need him. I need his grace. I need his mercy. Oh, God, I just give you my whole life. God, I surrender. I embrace you, Lord Jesus. You are, my, you are my hope. You're my leader. You're my God. You have my whole life. I mean, that is that kind of a prayer. You ever done anything like that and really meant it from your soul? If you haven't done that, you ought to do that today. Why, why play? Why, why, just be, why just watch it? Why not give yourself fully to God and see what he will do for you? Because this is, the, this is the incredible point here. They gave themselves to God. And I just urge you, don't think about giving money today. Give yourself to God. Entrust yourself fully to his love and to his care. Get out of the edges. Some of you are just living like, like you're in the suburbs of God, and you need to get right in the downtown center of God's will, right? You want to move right in into the heart of where the action is. And so let me just summarize this this way. You want to experience all God has for you? especially in the tough times that I think may be coming our way in a nation that is completely polarized, in a nation where mental health issues are off the charts, economic issues may be on the edge. And you're, you're, we're sitting here now in a, in a day of opportunity, and you want, you want to have the best of God. I'm just telling you, you want to have the best of God going for you. Well, it requires something, and it requires to just commit your life fully to Christ. Quit making Quit playing around with it and say, God, I give you my life, no holds barred, and see how he will take you through. And this is what leads Paul. He kind of gets to this point, and he's talking about their total commitment. And then he shifts, and he kind of starts addressing the Corinthians. And he says, I want to give you a transcending call, a transcending call. A transcending call is like a call to come up higher. Come on, be inspired by, by these, these poor people in their severe trial. I mean, think about this. They went through extreme poverty, and they're being held up for us in Scripture as an example for all time because of their incredible attitude. And so Paul says, based on their commitment in tough times, I want to call you to something higher. I want to, I want to call you to elevate yourself. I want you to think and go to a higher level. And watch why he says this. He calls them to a level of excellence in everything. But since you excel in everything... In your faith, in your speech, in knowledge, in your complete earnestness, and in your love for us. I stopped right there at that little dash. Sometimes when I read scriptures, you see a dash. You want to just stop and think. And I thought about all of you. I thought about what excellent people you are. And how in our church, we have all that. We have people who are excellent in their love and people who are excellent in their ability to communicate, people who are excellent in everything. They have faith, people who are so smart, people that God has assembled and brought together to, to lift and elevate this community to do things that one person alone could never do. And I just got grateful. I just had to stop and thank God. God, thank you for the excellence that you have brought around us. Have you, do you even sense, do you even realize that you are around some of the most excellent people in all of Indianapolis right here today? I just had to stop and thank God. I thank God for each one of you. I thank God for your excellent spirits. I thank God for a church that doesn't just practice diversity, but actually real inclusion, that actually cares about every person individually in the eyes of God and decides that we're going to do something together to address the needs of our city together. And we actually, through the power of God, we bring hope to people. They go, how is this even possible in a day like today? I think you are the attraction. I think, I think what God is doing in us, I think the excellence that he's doing in us is, is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And Paul says, you, you're so good at all of these things. Why don't you also excel in this grace of giving? What he's saying is, is just don't stop. Don't settle. Be excellent in everything. 
In fact, what he's calling you to do is be great at giving. Be excellent at giving. Be awesome at it. Like, make it your purpose. Like, I may not be there today, but I'm going to be excellent in every part of my life, including generosity. Isn't that a great call? He's calling us to elevate. Come up higher. Don't settle. Become great at it. And I I challenge myself, God, make me into one of the most generous, giving people that anybody would ever encounter. God, and may that be true for all of us. Like, may we just be, that's who we are. That's what we're known for. Since you excel in this, excel in giving. Write that down. Make that a goal of your life to excel. And by the way, he doesn't pressure you to do this. He just calls you up. He says, watch this. I don't command you. I'm not forcing you. I'm not holding a gun to your head. I'm not saying you're bad if you don't, but he's just saying, why wouldn't you? I mean, I want to test the sincerity of the love you say you have for God. Then go after it with all you got, with the earnestness that you have uh, for God. And, and also, when you compare yourself to the, these Macedonian Christians, these incredible people who were so poor, who were under such severe trial, yet they had this incredible joy and attitude, be inspired by their excellence. For you know, watch what he does next. Master teacher Paul he makes a comparison with Jesus. He says, for you know the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, watch this image, yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. He calls you to the example of following Christ. He calls you to say, look, God's not asking you to do anything that he didn't do himself, that he humbled himself and became the helper and servant of all. And that's the attitude we got to have in these days today. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what church you go to, what row you sit in. I'm telling you, the people of God are going to be known in the coming years as the humble helper servants of all. Can I say that again? You want to know what my goal is for us as a church? They'll say one thing. Those people are the most humble, helpful people we've ever met. And that's the heart of your God, who was rich And so he made himself poor so that you and I could have a real relationship with him. And that's what he's saying. You know, know, Corinthian church, think about about your God who gave up his riches so that you could have a rich relationship with him. So come on, Corinthian church, why can't you give up some of your riches so that the Macedonian church could experience the richness and and, and the power and the presence of God in their own lives? Why don't you give to them as God has given to you? And I'm so excited about that. I get, I get inspired by it. I, I think about your generosity. I think about how so many of you actually have excelled in the gift of giving. Do you realize that you are among some of the most generous people in all of this, this state and maybe in our world? I remember it was a few years ago and we put forth this vision to build all of this that you're sitting in today. We'd run out of room at the 96th Street campus. We were rotating services, there was no parking, and we, we cast the dream and we said, we're gonna plan, we're gonna take our time, but we ask you to, to plan and to pray about giving something over and above your tithes and offerings so we could create an opportunity so that other people could come to know Jesus. And people responded. It was crazy what they did. It was absurd. Some people just actually gave beyond uh, in ways that were shocking. $20,000 and $50,000 and $100,000 and everything in between. People, people giving up big money that they could have spent on themselves or could have spent on whatever they wanted. And they chose to say, we're not going to do that. We believe in the vision of what we're trying to accomplish together and we're going to give it. 
And so here we sit today in this beautiful air conditioning and the nice soft chairs up in the back and everybody's here and the thousands of people who are connected and it all happened because some people gave. Come on, I want to stop and clap and thank all of you who were so generous and who gave to make all this happen. And, by the way, not just seats in here, parking spaces, everybody. I don't know if any of you remember what it was like parking all over creation on the other side in that small building and people parked everywhere. And we would tell you, be nice, please don't park in these lots. People do it anyway. We would get calls on Sunday. Could you please tell your members to come over and get out of our fire lane? I mean, get out of our hotel. I mean, it was just, it happened. And thank God, there were some people who thought that we really need some parking and uh, built parking spaces for all of us, for people to come to know Jesus. Thousands of people. Do you also know what else? Do you know that every time you give that you are... You are touching, you are spreading the gospel in this city, in this nation, and around the world. And you are helping broken, hurting people. And you are bringing, your, your, your generosity, a portion of what you give every week is digging wells so that people can just have clean water, okay? Every, every time you give, you're clothing, educating, and feeding children around the world and helping them have dignity and worth and giving them a future that somebody believes in them. Every time that you give, a portion of what you're giving is going towards helping people who are made in the image of God, who somehow found themselves in a situation where they had no home. And there are people that go out from this church every week who are creating pathways to move people out of the street and into, into the Daniel's home and into all these different places. You, you, every time you give, there are women in this city who are stuck in commercial sexual exploitation and they are being rescued one life at a time every single week. And it happens because of people's generosity. That was what the Apostle Paul is saying. Is it so wrong to ask about that kind of thing? Absolutely not. That's what, we're, that's what we're here for. We're here to do stuff like that. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, look, follow the example of Jesus who was sacrificial enough to give up out of his own riches so that others could have a rich relationship with God. And watch what he says next. He says, so here's my advice. It's to your advantage to finish what you started. Like last year, he's reminding them, like last year when you said you were going to give to Corinthian church, you began to respond. You heard about the need, and you, and you responded. You were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. So he challenges them. He says, I'm going to be there shortly. I want to collect all of this and take it to Macedonia. Finish what you said you were going to do. Finish what you started, so that your eager willingness may be matched now by your giving. I don't have to create this point. Finish what you started. You know, do... Give to God what you said you were going to do. And then I love how he finishes it because he doesn't put a guilt trip on anybody. He actually says, and whatever you give, whatever you give is acceptable to God. Thank God for that right there. He just, he just, he just, made, it, he just made it easy. Whatever you give is acceptable to God if you give it willingly. No grudging, no complaining, nobody twisting your arm. You don't have to do it, but someone comes with the spirit, God, I want to. God says, that's an acceptable gift. And, by the way, give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. So if you don't have it, like you can't give $50,000, then don't, be, don't do that. <laughs> you don't have it. You don't have, to, you, don't have to, you don't have to feel any obligation or pressure. You don't have $5,000. Don't do that. But maybe, maybe you have 50 that you could give over and above or 25 or 5 or whatever. Out of whatever you have, whatever, is, whatever you have, then do what God tells you to do. 
and never feel upset about that. In fact, I never get mad when I'm around people who get to give at the level that God has given them. I was sitting at a table recently with people all around the table, and every single one of them had the ability, they had contributed millions of dollars to the kingdom of God. Given, I'm sitting here at the table, and they have given, like, change the world kind of money, and, I'm, and I was sitting there. You know what my attitude was? I wasn't mad that they were giving like that. You know what my thought was? Like, look where God has positioned me. God, take me right here. God, I pray that one day I'll be able to do that too. And that needs to be your attitude. Like, maybe you can't do it today, but you say, God, I want you to take me there. God, give me the ability one day to give like that. You gotta have an attitude. Let God expand what you're doing. Say, God, one day, one day, this is my prayer. God, one day I pray that you will make me, you will cause me to be generous to your kingdom beyond what I can even ask or imagine. That's a good prayer to pray. In fact, you can speak that over your pastor's life. I'll take it. I want that. I want to speak it over your life. That God, take me into the, take me into the ability. Because I know, I know that I can't outgive God. I know that I've learned the secret of sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping. And the Bible says that if you, if, you, if you sow and you don't faint, you will reap in due season. Come on, somebody. You will reap. It'll happen. So I, I know this secret. I'm going to keep living my life in such a way knowing that one day, God is going to reward and he's going to bless me. And so I'm going to continue just to give out of what, try this again, give from what I have. Not what I don't have, but I'm going to continue to let God move me. And I'm not going to be stuck in my thinking of what my capacities are. I'm going to be motivated. And God, I know he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what I could ask or think. Do you guys receive that today? Come on, help me to give God praise. Amen. Amen. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the incredible clarity and the simplicity of your word. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be a people that, that actually have the heart to follow you into the broken places of this world. God, you know how convicted I am about the mental health situation in our, in our country and in our world and the polarization that's happening. And I see, Lord, how you are positioning us to make the kind of difference that that really you've wanted to make all along and you're calling people to be, to be salt and to be light and to, to transform and to give hope to people that they can't even imagine that, that, that there are people who care and who love and who serve like you. God, I pray that we would be so willing and so generous and so effective and so capable that truly people would believe that there's a God in heaven because of the way we love and the way we love one another. So God, grow us, grow our capacities, stretch us, help us to become who you want us to be. I pray vision over our church. I pray, Lord, the spirit of, of love and kindness and maturity. Oh God, make us the most emotionally mature people. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the ability to become who you're asking us to be. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I talked a minute before about a total commitment to Christ. And maybe some of you have just been around church or around Christianity, but you've never surrendered your heart, your life to Christ. I want to give you that opportunity today. You don't have to join Heartland Church, but I'm offering you a moment of, of, of a sincere prayer where you tell God that you, you need him. God is drawn to humility. And when you say, God, I am ready, I surrender, I give you my life, he will respond to your prayer. The Bible says that you are forgiven already. You just have to take advantage of it. Can I say that? You're already forgiven. 
Will you respond to this amazing gift today that God wants to give you? Give your life to him. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. If you would say, Pastor, you're talking right to me. I need that in my life. Lift your hand up real quick and say, pray for me today. Yes, 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 yes. Yep, yep. Up in the risers, anybody? Just lift your hand up, put it down. Yeah, I see you. Got you right there. Thank you. Awesome. I can't pray this prayer for you, but I can give you some words. Say it like this. God, I admit that I need you. I need you desperately. I can't live without you. Second part of the prayer is where you say you're sorry. God, I forgive me. I've, I've been wrong to live without you. I'm wrong to go my own way. I'm sorry for the things I've done. I need your forgiveness. And then the last part is, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to give you my whole life. Say that to him. Lord, I pray for the person making this prayer now. May they never be the same. I pray that what was once something they just watched would be very real to them. Come into their life, begin to heal, begin to restore. I pray you'd redeem every mistake. And not long for now, they'd look back and not recognize themselves. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Come on, give God praise, everybody. Happy Father's Day.